one of the really important lessons that uh, somebody taught me was the phrase, you're always in a season. And it helped me kind of reframe my perspective and understand that the season I'm currently in is just that. It's a season. It'll change. And also, every season has a unique purpose. Right now, we see that in nature. It feels like fall today, doesn't it? Yeah, it feels like we're in the season of fall. About the time we would expect fall to show up, fall seems to be showing up. Although by the end of the day, it could feel like summer, and tomorrow could feel like winter, and then it could feel like fall again, all before dinner. So you just never know like how seasons will change, but typically, the world works with seasons, and we get it. Sports works in seasons, and we expect that certain sports show up a certain time of year. Unless the Olympics is involved, and they show up at an odd time of year sometimes, but, but typically it flows. And what we're saying in this series is life just works on seasons. Your life works on seasons. Your school works on seasons. Your job works with seasons. Your family has seasons. Your health has seasons. Your faith has seasons. And understanding how seasons work is an important thing. Solomon, who was the wisest person that ever lived, because one day God asked him, he said, I will do whatever you want. What do you want me to do for you? And he said, make me wise so I can lead people well, because he was put in charge of leading a nation. Instead of asking for power or wealth, he said, I want to be wise. And God said, I'm going to give you more wisdom than I've ever given anybody. And so Solomon has this wisdom that we can read about in Proverbs and read about in his story. But in Ecclesiastes, towards the end of his life, he's reflecting back about things he's learned, sometimes the hard way, especially as he wandered. But this was his thing he learned, Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 and following. It says this, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And he talks about the unique seasons that we go through. A time to born and be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. There's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And then he kind of says, out of all of that perspective of seasons, I've come to this conclusion. He says this, what do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. Then he has this observation, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. And he comes back to this statement at the beginning, Ecclesiastes 3.1, that there is a time, for everything there is a season and a time for every activity under heaven. But at the end of it, he just kind of says, but it's really hard to understand it what God's doing from beginning to end, but there's this promise, he'll make it beautiful. You're in a season right now. So the question we're asking you to consider is what season are you in? When you know what season you're in, it helps you to navigate it. It helps you understand that there's unique challenges that you need to kind of navigate, but also unique opportunities to leverage. And so that phrase, it's a season, has served me really well, even though seasons can be very hard for me sometimes. But what I've learned is what that does when I understand the perspective that it's a season, it changes the way I look at my season. And what makes it equally hard is a lot of times we're in equal or multiple seasons at once. Well, at work or school, I'm in this season, and by my family, I'm in this season, but my faith, I'm in this season, and my money, finances, I'm in this season, and 
They're all different seasons, and some are good, and some are bad, and some are just indifferent, and some I'm not sure what to make of it. And what happens when a bunch of different um, uh, weather systems kind of collide together that are different? Usually it involves storms, and sometimes that's what happens in our life. I'm in a good season over here, but I'm in a bad season over here. I'm in a weird season over here. They all overlap, and where they overlap provides chaos and storm. It's hard to navigate seasons, but as best as you can, what season are you in? And name it to navigate it. And some of you have identified you're in a season of waiting. At some point, we're all in a season of waiting. That's just how life works. And the promise we took last week from the example of Joseph in the Old Testament, his life, what he learned is that while you are waiting, God is working. That's the promise. God is working while you are waiting. But while you are waiting, here's the question. Is there work that you can do in this season? Or do you just wait and tread, light, light, uh, tread water? Are you on the penalty kill until this season's over? Or is there work you can do? And so today we're going to talk about seasonal work. How you make the most of each and every season. And I want to challenge you to have the mindset of a farmer today. Farmers get this. Gardeners get this, that what you plant in one season makes a difference in future seasons. So think about it from a farmer's perspective about that. As a matter of fact, today I want to give you five questions that have served me well. I think I've borrowed them all from other people, although I don't remember all who I borrowed them from. But they've, they've served me, and actually these were questions I was going through uh, about a year ago, and I'm still kind of going through these questions. Five questions that I want you to ask about you and the season you are in currently to help you have some different perspective. First question is this. What am I planting in this season of life? Again, the farmer's perspective. What are you planting in this season of life? We're always planting things in our lives, and people are, other people are often planting things in our life. As a matter of fact, if you want to know what's growing in your life, don't just think about what you're planting, but look at who you're hanging out with because they're throwing seeds in your garden all the time. And stuff is growing, and sometimes you go, how did I get this there? Well, let me, show me your friends. Let's see if that might give some light on it. But we know that it works this way. As a matter of fact, I think it's called the law of the farm. Paul knew it. Paul said the light. God created the world to work, not just with seasons, but with the law of the farm. Here's what he says in Galatians 6, verses 9 and 10. Let us not be, become weird. Excuse me. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Basically, this is how life works. You can try and think that God didn't set up the world with gravity, but don't go on a long walk off a short ledge. God cannot be mocked. Gravity happens. Well, so does the law of the farm. A man reaps what he sows. What you plant, what you sow, grows. That's just how life works. And whatever's being placed in your life will eventually show up in your life. What's being placed in your mind will show up in your life and your character out of your mouth. That's just how life works. It's the law of the farm. And so the key idea is get God involved with this. As a matter of fact, not just that, but put him in charge. Verse 8, whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So there's this idea here that, one, there's the law of the farm at work, but better than this, let God be the lead farmer. Don't just involve him in your life, put him in charge of your life, and let him tell you what to plant in your life. And then out of that, he says, you'll reap eternal life. So the question for you is, What's being planted in your life these days? Think about what you're watching, what you're listening to, who you're listening to, who you're spending time with. What are the things that are filling your mind, filling your heart? Think about the seeds that you're planting and your thoughts, your habits, your money, your relationships with others, your relationship with God, with everything. 
Because what God would tell you is he can't be mocked. Like, this is how life works, just like gravity. It always works. If I step off the stage, I'm going to fall to the ground. Just as sure as that, whatever is planted in your life will end up showing up in the next season in some form. So pay attention to that. What are you planting in this season of life? Pay attention to that and be intentional about that. What are you planting in this season of life? The second question question is this. How can I help others in this season of life? It goes on to say this in Galatians 6, the same passage. After he talks about paying attention to what you plant, God cannot be mocked, a man reaps what he sows. He says this, don't become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Like, don't just plant a seed and go, well, that didn't work. Like, keep doing it. Keep going. Keep doing what's right. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This week, I was reading on on Facebook, uh, and a college student posted something. Like, and that could go either way, right? No offense to college students. Last night, I was around five college guys. They, they're not in this room. I don't think they've ever been in this room. And I almost thought about inviting them to come to this room this morning, but if they had ever asked the question, hey, what do you do for a living? Like, that, that question always goes one or two ways for me. Actually, it's either full-on confession or I have nothing more to say to you, and this is awkward. And I just thought, let's just watch the end of the tech game and enjoy this. So I'm watching the end of the tech game, and these five guys are talking. And one of the guys is about to post something on social media. And I, it was all I could do to say, uh, please don't. You know, I don't know who your parents are, but I think they would say, don't do that. As your future employer, I would say, please don't do that. As your future self, who would come back and talk to current self and say, what were you thinking? Don't put that on social media. Anyway, it can go, and that's not just for college students. We know a lot of people in all demographics that post things that you go, what are you thinking? Well, last week, I saw a college student post something. Actually, a college student that goes here. Is Jasper in the room? Jasper's not in the room. He was serving first service. I know that. Jasper, Jasper Abelos uh, goes to Live Oak, and, man, he's worth a follow on Facebook. Like, I've been pastored more from a, a, a college freshman than a lot of other people on Facebook. Like, sometimes he'll just say something, and I go, man, Jasper, that's really insightful. He's a freshman at South Plains College, and he's still, I think, isn't he still in the group me for the high school seniors? And does he still share a verse of the day? And like, man, he's so intentional. He challenged me on this concept, and I'll read it for you what he said. He posted that verse, Galatians 6.10, about not become weary in doing good. And he said this, instead of focusing on our needs all the time, let's help each other spread goodness as God wanted us to. This helps build their spiritual well-being, the people you're doing good to, and over time will in turn bring them back to their mighty God. And to any born-again believers, it helps them continue their spiritual journey as we should be doing. When we do good things out of the Spirit rather than out of the flesh, we are closer to God and His eternal promise and not the destruction brought on by said flesh. Christian or not, being a kind-hearted human is so especially important nowadays. Jasper's asking that question, how can I help others in this season of life? That's a great question to ask, and I loved him influencing me, and I hope influencing you by listening to what the Apostle Paul said. How can I help others in this season of life? Do good. In Proverbs, it says, uh, Proverbs 3.27, whenever you're able, do good to anyone who needs help. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. This is why some of us are waiting to do good to others. 
I'm just in a season right now. It's a really hard season. I'm in a season of waiting or I'm in a season of grieving. Absolutely, lean into that, pay attention to that, navigate that. But what might be very helpful for you for in this season is to realize some things that will help you in this season is helping other people in theirs. We can become so self-focused that we lose sight of maybe what God wants to do that will help us heal is helping others take their next step or navigate whatever season they're in. And if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. Always, as you have any opportunity, do good to all the people. So the question is, how can I help others in this season of life? Sometimes that's a very helpful perspective-changing question for me. Third question is this, what can I learn in this season of life? A lot of times I'm waiting for the next season and I'm trying to learn everything I can of how to move from this season to the next season or whatever. I'm just like, how can I get out of this season? Instead of doing that, say, God, what do you have for me to learn in this, in this season? And a lot of, and we know that God has purpose in every season, but sometimes we don't always know what that purpose is. But I think there's always something that we can learn. And the apostle Paul navigated that really well. He was writing to a church. It was a church in Corinth. And he had been through some really rough times. And I think maybe they had a perspective where they thought, oh, I've, we feel so bad for you, and that's awful, and I'm not sure, I, you know, we don't, we're not sure what to do with this. And so Paul says, let me tell you what you can do with it, what I do with it. That sounds funny. I'll tell you what you can do with it. No, that's not what he was saying, not like that. What he was saying is, let me tell you how I, my perspective of these bad things that happened. And if you're in a season that's rough, this might be some words you describe your season. 2 Corinthians 1.8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about our troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Some of you, that describes your season. Like, it's beyond my ability. Like, I feel like this might be the sentence of death. It's great pressure. I, I, it's great troubles. Here's what Paul recognized about this. He had a different perspective. He said this. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. In the middle of that season, he could have lost hope and said, God's not here, or God's not doesn't care, or there's no purpose here. But he recognized the purpose of this isn't that God's going to change the season. The purpose is, is to teach me that I can rely on him no matter the weather. That God is good and with me and for me and powerful and his ability is never o- overmatched. He learned that. It was a transformational lesson for him that he could rely on God. In the season you're in, there's a lesson he may have for you and usually the lesson he's trying to teach you is you can trust me. I'm with you, I'm for you, and I'm at work in you. And you may not make sense of it now, but trust me and keep following me. Keep relying on me. And a lot of times when you're engaging scripture, if you're going through a season, let's say you're going through a season of worry. We have lots of worries. Suddenly you go, okay, what does the Bible say about worry? You look up the word worry or anxiety or fear, and you find all those verses. And God shows you a lot of things of what's true about what he says and promises about worry, fear, and anxiety. The problem is you're only looking for verses about worry, fear, and anxiety. And what I am so amazed at is that sometimes, and I subscribe to a verse of the day from the YouVersion Bible app, and I get it every morning, and I get it 
uh, right before uh, I take the kids to the bus stop, and even though we live like a mile, uh, not even a mile from the school, they decided they want to take the bus, which means we got to get up an hour earlier. And I keep thinking, they're going to get tired of this. Well, they're not. Well, I'm tired. I'm tired because we're getting up an hour earlier. But as we're going down in the dark, going to school every day, I'm like, hey, you want the verse of the day? Let me tell you the verse of the day. And I'll read it to them. And you know what's so amazing about the verse of the day? Sometimes it's exactly what we're going through. The most amazing thing is it's not that. It's sometimes it's what we're going through next. Have you ever experienced that? You read something, you hear something, you, read, you get a verse and you go, well, that's not really the world I'm in. And then a week later you go, oh, yeah. Or you're reading through, like we have a reading plan for every series that we do. And, and sometimes we build around the series, but sometimes we just put a big chunk of scripture and say, read through the, like right now it's, you know, we read through the Gospel of John, James, Gospel of John, and then 1 John. And what, I, what I've known to be true is that sometimes as you're reading through, you have no idea what's coming next. But suddenly you're reading something and God taps you on the shoulder and says, pay attention to this. He, he reminds you of something. He teaches you something. He convicts you of something. He changes your direction. He changes your perspective. He puts some truth in your mind. He plants something in your mind that it grows and sprouts up in that next season where you're like, wow, I'm so glad that God was doing his work here to prepare me for there. This is the danger of just searching for what you're interested in in Scripture. Let the Holy Spirit disciple you. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. He disciples you. Let him do it through Scripture, and you'd be amazed as you read through systematically how God has great order and insight into the future. And God is always at work in your life, so be looking for where he's working in you. Lean into that. Paul knew that we might rely on God, that he can be trusted, that he is capable, he is strong. He'll keep teaching that lesson. The other thing is this, work the soil. A farmer's perspective, a gardener's perspective. Sometimes you have to prepare the soil, then plant the seeds, and then water, and then weed. Work the soil so God can do something in you and through you that might take the perspective of a farmer multiple seasons before a harvest happens. What can I learn in this season of life? And just the subtext there is he's always teaching you that you can rely on him. That's always what he's trying to do, to draw you closer to himself and finding out he's trustworthy. And I put this next question after this question and after that, because this one could get weird in a hurry, but it's very, very important for your well-being. The next question is this. What can I enjoy in this season of life? God really does care about what you enjoy in life. And his goal is not to make you stop enjoying life. He actually wants you to enjoy life. That's his plan for you. And for a long time, I always thought God was out to kind of just keep me on track and say, nope, don't go out of bounds over here, don't go out of bounds over here. And then I realized one day, oh, he's doing that because he loves me and he actually wants me to enjoy life. He emphasized a guardrail and said, this is out of bounds because he wanted me to enjoy life. And he wanted me to understand that I could enjoy him and enjoy life. And suddenly I realized that, that guardrails and a path is an expression of his love for me and his desire for me to enjoy life at its very most. And what I learned over time is, well, that was important to me to learn that lesson. But then the other thing is, if I don't enjoy life, I make a lot more bad decisions. Because life takes something out of you. Especially if you take that question seriously that, that Jasper challenges us on, that Paul challenges us on, that, that and, and Solomon challenges us on, do good to others. You are made 
to pour your life into others. It's what you're made to do. And when you do that, it takes something out of you, kind of like a battery. Every time it, something draws off that, it needs to be recharged. Let me ask you this question. How many of you guys have a mobile phone? Raise your hands. Okay. All right. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you have charged your phone, um, have, have not charged your phone in over a month? Like, we do a better job of charging our phones than recharging our lives. What's wrong with us, right? Like, we get it in certain areas. But here's where it came for me. Several years ago, actually, it was like 15 years ago, maybe even more, uh, this pastor from Hawaii named Wayne Cordero. And if you're going to be a pastor from anywhere, Hawaii would be a great place to be a pastor, right? I'm a pastor in Lubbock. Just saying. He, he was an incredibly gifted communicator, a great pastor, great leader. And one day he tells this story about how he had a nervous breakdown. How just pouring out his life, eventually, looking back, he saw the warning signs, but he realized he was empty. And he used this analogy, and he's such a winsome person, and it was hard to imagine that for him, but as he told the story in graphic detail, and I've heard him tell it several times, it's just, it had so much insight for me that I keep going back to as a point of reference to help me understand why this question matters. Because every one of our lives, and I've used this analogy before, and I think I even talked about it in The Struggle is Real. Uh, there's, a, there's a message, if you want to read, hear more about it, called um, replenishing, about replenishment. And how you replenish this matters because every one of our lives, we pour into it. We do things we enjoy and it pours into our bucket. And then there are things in our life that drain us, that deplenish. And we have a, there's a drain at the bottom and an intake at the top. And you have to manage both. And you'll never in, in, uh, remove all the drains from your life. Sometimes they're seasonal, sometimes they're situational, sometimes they're always going to be there. But there are things in life that drain. But there's always opportunities to pour in. And what happened to his life is he was pouring out so much, and nothing was pouring into him. Excuse me, there were so many drains, and he was pouring out. But he stopped. He got so busy with these things, he didn't have time to replenish. And he says, when it gets down to about right here, about a third of the way down, you have a, an, an anxiety attack. And then you get down about two-thirds, and you have an emotional breakdown. It looks different for different people. And then you get to the bottom and you have a nervous breakdown that's more far-reaching implications and it, has, it can have devastating consequences. And God created you to be a, an open system. You're dependent on other things to live. And if you don't believe that, hold your breath and then I'll come see you tomorrow and let's see how that turned out because eventually you'll run out of air. You need oxygen. Do you know your brain also needs, in addition to oxygen, it needs relationships? God wired your brain that you need others. Your brain needs oxygen, glucose, and, and relational connection to fire right. And there are things in our body that get out of whack, things like serotonins and things like that, that if, if you just drain, 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 and there are certain stressors, stressors, and there's no th nothing pouring in, eventually, not only do you not have anything to give, you just give out. And as he tells the story of what this looked like, he just said, here was the challenge. He said, this is why this matters. That the journey is too long in life to not replenish for the journey. You fill up your car with gas. You charge your phone. What are you doing to replenish? 
What can you enjoy in this season of life? No matter how hard the season is, what can you enjoy in this season of life? What he challenges people to do is to take this and then on on one page, like like draw a bucket and do an arrow going in and write five things that you enjoy that replenish you. And then five things that drain you. And what he would say is like, those could be as practical as you want. But ultimately, if God is not the one ultimately pouring into you, you cannot pour in enough to fill up for a broken bucket. Jesus is the one who promised, I will give you life to the full and overflowing, life abundantly. Only he can do that. But he's also your creator who created you depending on relationships with others, with needs for sleep and exercise, things like that are chemicals and activities that are firing in our lives. To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you have to take care of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Or it just won't go well. And if you just build your life around this question, what can I enjoy in this season of life and ignore the one right before this about about what can I learn in this season of life and ultimately what he's trying to teach you is that you can rely on him no matter what, that he is life. If you get that out of whack, eventually you will look and not only will you find yourself in a ditch on the side of the road with an empty bucket, you will probably be shaking your fist in God and saying, why did you let this happen? And he'll say, no, no, I wanted you to care for yourself. I've given you instruction even in the Bible about how to, how to rest and have rhythms and seasons and how this is important. And, and I've given you guardrails and boundaries and I've said, follow me and I will lead you to life and life abundantly. I will lead you to green pastures will give you great rest and restore your soul. That's what I want for you. But things get weird when we don't take, take, take care of the bucket well. And the other thing, what it does is this. And I heard this quote years ago and I think about it and I know it's true in my life. And I bet it's true in yours. Failure to live a deeply satisfying life often makes bad choices look good. Failure to live a deeply satisfying life often makes bad choices look good. And the reason many of us are tempted to make a bad choice and we say, sure, and later we go, what was I thinking? It's because we were not finding our satisfaction in, in Christ and in the life that he gives us. And he gives us a lot, not just himself. That's the primary thing that can fill our bucket like nobody else. But he gives us everything in life for our enjoyment. This is what Paul told his his protege, Timothy. He said this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. The thing about wealth is this. You can fill your bucket pretty good. There's still drains, but you can keep putting stuff in there and have a pretty comfortable, enjoyable life. But eventually, it's not enough. It'll run out. So he says, don't put your hope in that, but you can't enjoy that. As a matter of fact, you can enjoy a lot of things. Put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God's desire is that you would enjoy life. And sometimes we view the guardrails as his desire for us to say, no, I'm the fun police. Don't enjoy life. But he says, no, I'm going to do it setting this up so you can enjoy life like no other. Solomon came to the same conclusion. Do you remember in Ecclesiastes 3.12 when he said, I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. Paul knew this, and he recognized that no matter where you go in life, life can be good, life can be bad, life can be rainy or it can be sunny. It has all these different seasons of life, all these different circumstances. He said, no matter what, in any season of life, there is something that you can enjoy and be thankful for. 
1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. And the reason gratitude, we'll talk about it more next week, is so important is because it takes your eyes off what's wrong to what's right, and it reminds you that God gives us many things in life for not just our safety and protection, but for our enjoyment. He doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances, but he said in every single circumstance. And Paul lived that out. He knew that he could rely on God and that God was with him in every season. And he's giving everything for his enjoyment. And there's stuff to be gratitude for, show gratitude for in every situation. That when he's in prison and writing to the church at Philippi, he said this, I have learned to be content whatever my circumstances, whatever season he was in, he learned he could be content. I don't know if I'm there yet. I haven't taken that class yet. But I'm trying. And I think a lot of it comes back to that idea that you can rely on God. And also you've got to have, be a good steward of the life he's given you to replenish and rest and get rhythms that are God-honoring. And I think it's so interesting that the best God-honoring rhythms and principles and rules in life are the ones that set you up to enjoy life the most. And I think our perspective changes and we don't think that to be true. But that question, what can you enjoy in life, is important. But don't have that be your only question. It will take you to some weird places. But it's an important one. The last one is this. Fifth question is this. What is most important in this season of life? For a farmer, they know in this season, here's what's most important. We've got a plant. Or in this season of life, it's time to harvest. They know there's uniquenesses in each season. What is most important in this season of life? Ephesians 5 tells us this, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. As you're navigating life, be careful, be wise, and make the most of every opportunity. There's opportunity of how you leverage this season that will make a difference for the future. So for you, for the season you're in, and from any amount of wisdom or insight or perspective God's given you, what is most important in this season of life? Because life does work with seasons. It has process. And even though the, the results might be long-term, think immediately, what are the next steps? And then be intentional. There's so many things in life that you cannot control. There's so many things about seasons that you cannot control when they change. And sometimes you can't control when a storm shows up. You can't control when a drought shows up. You can't control a lot in life. So focus on what you can control and figure out what's most important this season of life. Seasons of waiting are not wasted time. There's stuff to do that you can work the soil to set you up to hear better from God, be responsive to him, to let him transform and change you and walk with you through the season of life. And for many of you, if you're in a hard season of life, if you're in a difficult season of life and you feel like things have been torn down, if you feel like things are broken, it can be very, very challenging. C.S. Lewis has this great quote. He says, um, the great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own or real life. The truth is, of course, that, we, that, that, what we, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life, the life God is sending one day by day. And he challenges us just, how you view interruptions, how you view what kind of showed up in your season that you're like, I'm not thankful for this. This isn't good, but God can use it for good. He goes, what if God has a purpose and a plan before this? 
And for some of us, there have been things in our life that have been torn down. They're a wreck. And we just don't see it. It's hard in that season to do that. Uh, there's a famous author. Let me look up the information here. His name is Thomas Carlyle. Anyone ever heard of him? Anyone heard of Thomas Carlyle? He, he wrote the book, um, uh, The History of the French Revolution. Anyone read it? Charles Dickens did. It was the inspiration for uh, A Tale of Two Cities. And it greatly inspired him there. And uh, he almost didn't get to read it. Because Thomas Carlyle had written this out 1,500 pages by hand. There was no typewriter. There was no laptop. There was no cloud drive to back up work on. All written out by hand. And he gave it to a friend of his named uh, John Stuart Mills to edit it and proofread it. And he was very wise about what he did is he put it in a basket about like this, 1,500 pages stacked up, so it wouldn't like blow away as it's being moved around, but he put it in a basket. So John Stuart Mills takes it to his house and he starts reading it. And he leaves it sitting by his favorite chair, which also happened to be next to the fireplace. And his maid, while he was out of town on a long trip, thought it was there for burning, like fire starter kind of stuff. And um, this book, The History of the French Revolution, uh, ended up becoming history. (laughs) It was gone. All his work, gone. And Thomas Carlyle went into such a deep depression that for weeks on end, he went into his house, he shut the door, shut the windows, he stopped eating, and he just got stuck in this place of depression. Everything that he had worked for was torn down. And he just stayed there. And then one day he opened the blinds and he looked across the street and there was this guy going to work who was literally a bricklayer. That's what he did. And there was this wall across the street that had fallen down and was old and crumbled and the guy just started going to work rebuilding the wall. And brick by brick by brick, he put down a wall and one day he finished and the wall was rebuilt and it looked as good as new. And for multiple days, he just sat at his window. All he would do was just sit there and watch this guy. Of course, they didn't have satellite back then. And they didn't have, well, couldn't go online and do Facebook. <laughs> maybe he had it better than we did, maybe. That's all he could do was look at his current season and say, what, what do I make of this? And he got fascinated with this bricklayer. And he got finished. And this is what he said. If he can rebuild that wall brick by brick, I can rebuild my manuscript page by page. So he began to write. And then two years later, he finished it. Today, Thomas Carlyle's The History of the French Revolution is a classic of historical literature. And it inspires A Tale of Two Cities, which how many people have heard of that before? Yeah. Like, you never know. When something feels like it's torn down, we never know that it actually could be rebuilt. In that moment, it just feels like all is lost. But then a change of perspective that came through a bricklayer It changed his perspective, and then he ended up changing the perspective of Charles Dickens, who makes this amazing contribution to literature. You just never know. And for some of you, where you're at, it will be brick by brick by brick. It will be a slow process. But you'll never rebuild the wall if you don't lay the first brick. So what is your first brick? What is your next step? What do you need to do in this season to help God build 
not just the life that you want, but to build in you the you that God created you to be, the influence that God created you to have. Make the most of every opportunity. Be very careful how you live. Be wise and rebuild it brick by brick. The questions I'd like to think about this, uh, this week are this. For those next questions. There we go. What season are you in right now? And what can you do right now in this season? What is your seasonal work? What can you do right now to make the most of your current season and prepare for future seasons? I'd love it if you could answer that and ask God for wisdom and clarity. God, help me understand what I should be doing in this season. Because a lot of times what are your efforts is, is I want to get out of this season as quickly as possible. And God say, no, I want you here for a while. Just lay the first brick. Ask God for wisdom. God, what's the first brick you want me to lay? What's the first step you want me to take? How do you want me to learn to rely on you more in this season of life? Answer those questions and then do what Wayne Cordero really recommended. Take the idea of a bucket. Get a piece of paper and draw a bucket on it and draw an arrow in the top and then draw like number one to five. What are five things that fill your bucket? What do you enjoy? What's replenishing for you? And then draw a little arrow at the bottom of where it drains. What are five things that drain you? And how could you manage those? And Wayne Cordero's insight was, the more things I have draining me, or the more impactful that each individual thing is, usually you end up getting more busy and you can't do the things that, you, that fill you up. He changed his strategy and said, the more I've got things draining me, the more time I've got to spend on the things I enjoy because I recognize I need that for the journey. Ask God for clarity. And then ask yourself the hard question, God, are you the one primarily I'm looking to be the one who fills me up, to give me life and life to the full? But also ask him for the insight of how you can live a God-honoring life that restores your soul and fills up you emotionally, relationally. What is it that's life-giving for you? And then find someone who knows you really well, give that to them and say, does this sound like me? And if they go, no. It might be because you wrote their name on the drains you list. Like, like, don't give it to that person. If they drain you, don't give it to them. As a matter of fact, don't write anyone's name down, but just say, some people are draining. That, they just leave it at that, and that'll leave them wondering, kind of like, oh, and you might have a really good friend the next rest of the week. But ask them, like, does this sound like me? And then would you pray for me about these things? And then maybe if they haven't done it, ask them, well, what is it for you? And can I pray for you about that? So think about these two questions, answer them. This is homework that will not be graded. But there's going to be a test that's coming because you're going to have a season that challenges you. And if you don't know what season you're in and you don't know how to make the most of the current season you're in and you don't manage your life well, you will be empty and depleted. You've been given one life and no one makes decisions for you but you. What choices are you making in this season of life because in this season of life, you are planting something, you are learning something, you are enjoying something. All these things are at play in your life, whether you're intentional about it or not. Be intentional, because the impact, it will change your future, and it will change you, and then you have the capacity to pour your life into others and see them be changed as well. Let's stand for closing prayer. God, thanks that you love us and you're for us. Help us to find time to reflect, and that's one of the things that, that fills me up. Just time to, for quiet reflection and listening. Because a lot of people speak into my life, but sometimes it's hard to hear your voice. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that. 
God, I pray you'd create moments of quiet reflection where we could ask you for insight on the season we're in. The next steps, the next bricks to be laid, the next steps to be made as we go from here to there, we can only focus on what's next. Give us wisdom in that. Help us to make the most of every opportunity. And God, I pray you would fill our buckets like only you can. Give us life and life to the full that's found uniquely in you. But God, also help us manage this body and mind and emotional life that you've given us in a way that we truly can love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength because we're taking care of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, we need you in this process. Thanks that you've promised to be present in the process and have purpose in this process. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Next week, we're going to talk about seasons of change. They're always there, so I hope you'll be here for that. Have you forgotten you have a father listening?